Ihya Ulumuddin by Imam Ghazali Book of Knowledge, Part 2 Imam Abu Hanifa He was a great Imam and a great ascetic and God-fearing man. He sought God's pleasure by his knowledge. Ibn Mubarak said that Abu Hanifa had a good character, conduct and observed prayers and fasting too much. Hamad bin Sulaiman said that he was in the habit of praying the whole night and in another narration half the night. Once Abu Hanifa was walking in a street when people hinted at him saying this man spends the whole night in prayer. Imam Abu Hanifa said, quote, I am ashamed before God that I am being described by something which I do not possess. Unquote. Regarding his asceticism, Rabbi bin Asim said, Khalif Yizid sent me once to Imam Abu Hanifa and he wanted to appoint him as the cashier of the straight treasury. On his refusal to accept the post, he was given 20 stripes. Now, see how he fled away from a very big post and as a re result he received punishment. Hakim bin Hisham said, I heard about Imam Abu Hanifa at Syria that he was the most trusted man for which the Khalifa wanted to appoint him as the treasurer of the state treasury and threatened him with punishment if he did not accept it. He preferred the king's punishment to that of God. Ibn al-Mubarak narrated about Imam Abu Hanifa, quote, Do you say of that man who has been given the treasures of the world but who fled away from them? Muhammad bin Shuja narrated, Khalif Abdul Mansur ordered, 10,000 dirhams to be given to Imam Abu Hanifa, but he declined the offer. On the day when wealth would have been delivered to him, he covered his body with a cloth after prayers and did not talk to anybody. The man of the Khalif went to him with the dirhams, but Imam Abu Hanifa did not talk to him. One of the people present there said, this is his habit, put it in the corner of the room. This was done. Thereafter, Imam Abu Hanifa left death instructions with regard to this wealth and said to his son, When I die, you finish my burial, take this purse to the Khalifa and tell him, This is your trust which you had deposited with Abu Hanifa. His son said, I did that as was requested by my father. The Khalif said, May God have mercy on your father. It is narrated that he was once offered the post of the Chief Justice of the State, but he said, I am not fit for that post. When he was asked about the reason, he said, If I have told you the truth, it is good for the post. And if I have told you a lie, I am unfit for the post as I am a liar. Imam Abu Hanifa's knowledge of things of the hereafter and his concern about the important matters of religion are proved by following narration. Ibn Jure said, quote, I was informed that Imam Abu Hanifa was a great God-fearing man. Sharik said, Imam Abu Hanifa used to spend long times in silence and meditation and converse little with the people. These actions prove his exoteric knowledge. He who has been given silence and asceticism has been given all knowledge. Imam Shafi Imam Shafi was a devout worshipper. He divided the night into three parts, one for study, one for prayer and one for sleep. The narrator said that Imam Shafi used to finish the Quran 60 times in the month of Ramazan and every time he finished it in prayer. Hassan Karabis reported, quote, I spent many nights with the great Imam. He used to spend one third of the night in prayer. Yet I have not seen him reciting more than 500 to 1000 verses.
At the end of each verse, he used to beseech God's mercy upon himself and upon all Muslims. The Imam said, quote, I used to not take food with a satisfaction for the last 16 years as a full stomach makes the body heavy and makes the heart hard, increases sleep and renders a man lazy for worship. He also said, quote, Never have I taken oath by God, whether false or true. He said, he who, came, he who claims that the love of the world and the love of God are united in him is a liar. Hudaydi said, Imam Shafi once went to Yemen with some of the men and returned to Makkah with 10,000 dirhams. A tenth was fixed for him in the outskirts of Makkah and the people began to come to him. He did not move from that place till he distributed all the dirhams amongst the people. Generosity of the Imam was great and the root of asceticism is generosity. Whoever loves a thing keeps it to him and everything is insignificant to one to whom the world is insignificant. This is asceticism which leads to God-fear. Once, Sufyan bin Aynabat fell in swoon before the Imam. He was told that he had expired. He said, if I... If he has died, the best man of his time has died. Umar bin Nabtallah said, I have not found more God-fearing man than Imam Shafi. I, he and Haris went one day to the valley of Safa. Haris had a student with him and he was a Qari or a reader of the Quran. He had a sweet voice and he began to read. This is a day on which they will not speak and they will not be given permission to rise excuse. As is said in the Quran 77.35, I saw that the color of the face of the Imam changed and he began trembling vehemently, and he fell in sajda. When he recovered, he began to say, O oh God, I seek refuge from you, from the place of the liars and the scoffing of the heedless. O oh God, the heart of the Gnostics have submitted and the necks of those who yearn for you have bowed. O worshipped, bestow your mercy upon me and cover me with your mercy. Forgive my faults through the grace of your countenance. Then he, along with us, left the place. When I reached Baghdad, he was then there in Iraq. I was asking ablution in the bank of the river for prayer. A man then was passing by me and said, O young man, make ablution well. God will then treat good with you in this world and in the next. I followed him. He looked at me and he said, Have you got any necessity? I said, Teach me something of what God has taught you. He said, No, that he knows. He who knows God as true gets salvation and he who fears his religion remains safe from destruction. He who remains indifferent to the world will be cool at seeing the rewards which God will give him tomorrow. Shall I give you more advice? I said, yes. He said, the faith of one who has got three characteristics is perfect. To enjoin good, to act according to it, to prohibit evil and to desist from it, and to guard the limits of God. Shall I give you more advice? I said, yes. He said, adopt asceticism in the world, entertain hopes for the next world, and believe God in all your affairs. And you will be then amongst those who will get salvation. Then he went away. I asked, Who is he? They said, Imam Shafi. Such fear and asceticism are the result of nothing but his knowledge of God and 
not for his knowledge of legal questions like advance payments, loans, wages that are embodied in fiqh. Imam Shafi said, the knowledge of one who does not make himself perfect will come of no use to him. He also said, who confesses his obedience to God through the help of his knowledge, his heart will become illumined. He also said, everyone has got some persons who love him and some who hate him. If it is so, be amongst those who obey God. Abdul Qadir al bin Abdul Aziz was a God-fearing man. He was he once asked Imam Shafi, quote, which of these virtues is best is better, patience, trial, and peace of mind? Tamkin. The Imam replied, peace of mind is the rank of the prophets, and it is not attained except by trial, and patience comes after trial. Don't you see that God examined Ibrahim and then he gave him peace of mind? He examined Suleiman and then he gave him peace of mind and kingdom. He did the same with Musa, with Yusuf and others. This reveals the deep knowledge of Imam Shafi about the Quran. Sufyan Saori said, I or nobody had seen anyone like Imam Shafi. Imam Malik he was adored with five qualities. Once he was asked, O Malik, what do you say about the search for knowledge? He replied, It is fair and beautiful. If anybody does not separate you, does not separate from you morning to evening, don't separate from him. When Imam Malik intended to narrate traditions, he used to make ablutions, sit in the middle of the bed, comb his beard, apply scent, and then become fearful and grave and then narrate traditions. When asked about these formalities, he said, I intend to show honor to the traditions of the Prophet. He said, knowledge is light. God places it wherever he wishes. Regarding the seeking of pleasure of God by knowledge, he said, there is no benefit in arguments about religion. This is proved by a saying of Imam Shafi who said, once I was near Imam Malik, he used to he was asked about 48 legal questions he replied regarding 32 questions that he does not know when the learned were mentioned imam malik was counted as a bright star it is said that once khalif mansur prohibited him to narrate the particular tradition on the illegality of divorce made under compulsion the khalif thereafter instigated someone to ask the imam on the subject he declared amongst the people that divorce pronounced under compulsion is not binding. For this, the Khalif had him flogged. Khalif Harun Rashid was once asking Imam Malik, Have you got any house? Imam Malik said no. The Khalif then gave him 3,000 dinars and said, Go and buy a house with this money. The Imam accepted the money, but he did not spend it for that purpose. When the Khalif intended to return to Baghdad, he asked Malik, you should have come with us because we have decided to make the people follow Mawlata as Usman, as Usman made them follow the Quran. Malik said, this is not the way the people follow Mawlata because the companions of the Prophet after his death dispersed around different countries and they related the traditions in each place. Further, the Prophet said, difference of opinion amongst people is a blessing. As for my Going with you, there is no way, as the Prophet said, had they known, they would have known that Medina is the best for them. Again, he said, 
Medina removes its corruptions just as the furnace removes the dust of the iron. Thereafter, here are your dinars. If you like, take them back and if you like, leave them here. Does this mean that you ask me to leave Medina in return for what you have given me? I swear I prefer nothing more than the city of the Prophet, not even the whole world. Such was the asceticism of Malik when, as a result of his diffusion of knowledge and spreading of his companions, large wealth began to come to him from different corners of the earth. He used to distribute them in charity. Such an ascetic was Suleiman, despite his royal glory. Another example of his asceticism is that Imam Shafi once said, I noticed a number of Khorasani horses at the door of Malik. I have never seen any other horse better than them. I said to Malik, how beautiful are they? He said, they are presents from me to you. I said to him, keep one of them for yourself for riding. He said, I shall be ashamed before God to tread with the hoof of any, of any lest beast of burden, the soil wherein lies his prophet. See, therefore, his benevolence and veneration for the soil of Medina. There is yet another report of his asceticism. He said, I once went to the Khalif Harun Rashid. He asked Malik, O Abu Abdullah, you should come frequently to my place so that I may learn from you the Muatta, which was his book. He said, May God exalt my master. This knowledge has come from you. If you honor it, it will be exalted, and if you dishonor it, it will be despised. Knowledge is something you shall learn and not something you shall receive. Then the Khalif said, You are right. He said to his sons, Go to the mosque and acquire from him knowledge along with the people. Imam Ahmad and Sufyan Sauri had many followers. Nevertheless, they are known for asceticism and the fear of God. All book contains their sayings and stories of their asceticism. Now examine the lives of the Imams and scrutinize those who claim to be their followers. Did the Imams rise to such eminence only because of their knowledge of fiqh, which now means contracts of the type of the salam and hire and rental and lease and loan and other worldly laws? Section 3. Blameworthy Sciences Knowledge is not held to be blameworthy except for one of the three reasons. First, it leads to the harm of another. It becomes blameworthy, such as magic, sorcery, talisman. These sciences are true, no doubt, as the Quran testifies about them. The Sahih Bukhari and Muslim narrates traditions also that the Prophet of God was once the victim of sorcery for which he fell ill. Jibrail informed the Prophet of this matter. The enchantment was taken out from underneath a stone in the bottom of a well. It is a kind of knowledge obtained through the learned men of the precious stones, mathematical calculations of the places and times of the rising of stars. Second, the second reason is that if science causes harm to the acquirer, it is blameworthy, such as the science of astronomy. It is of two kinds. One calls with ma mathematics and is connected with accounts. The Quran says the sun and the moon have got courses reckoned, 55, 4. It says again, as for the moon, I decreed stations for it till it changes like an old and a crooked palm branch, 36, 39. 
The second kind deals with astrology, the gist of which is that the future events are indicated by the present causes. Astrology is therefore an attempt to know the course of laws and ordinances of God in connection with God's creations. The Sharia has declared it as blameworthy. The Prophet said when taqdeer is mentioned, remain silent, and whenever my companions are mentioned, remain silent. The Prophet said, I fear three things for my followers after me, the oppression of the leaders, faith in astrology, and disbelief in taqdeer, that is, the decree of God. Hazrat Omar said, learn astrology to conduct you in the land and sea and not more. There are three cases of this prohibition. Firstly, it is harmful for the majority of the people because thoughts occur in their minds that it is the stars which influence the course of events and so the stars are worshipped. The wise man knows that the sun and the moon and the stars are subject to the commands of God. The second reason is that astrology is purely guesswork. It is to be termed it is to be termed blameworthy because its command is only ignorance. Once the Prophet was passing by a man surrounded by the people, he asked, Who is this man? They said, He is a great learned man. The Prophet asked of what learning? Of poetry and Arab genealogy. The Prophet said, Such a learning which does not have any benefit and such ignorance which does not do any harm. The Prophet said, Learning is of decisive verses or lasting usages of the Prophet and just ordinances based on the Quran and the Sunnah. It appears from this discussion that astrology and the like sciences are useless undertakings. The third reason, that is, this science is blameworthy is that it becomes of no use when one acquires it. For example, learning of trivial sciences, because the important ones, learning of subtleties before fundamentals, ignorance, however, in some cases is beneficial, as is seen from the following story. A certain person once accompanied, once complained to a physician that his wife was sterile and that she bore no children. The physician left the pulse of the woman and told her that she would die after 40 days. The woman got extremely frightened and gave away all her wealth and lived these 40 days without food and drink. After that period, her husband came to the physician and said that, this, that his wife did not die. The physician said, now cohabit with her and you will get an issue. He asked, how will that be? The physician said, I saw that the woman was too fat and that grease was blocking her uterus and that it could not be removed except for the fear of death. Then she became lean and fit for consummation. It is, uh, it is gathered from the story that ignorance is sometimes good. Ignorance of some branches of knowledge is good and it will be clear from the following hadith of the Prophet. He said, I seek refuge from God from useless knowledge. So don't discuss about those learnings which have been declared by Sharia as useless. There are too many other things which inquire into will do harm. Second matter, change of the meanings of some words connected with knowledge. The people have changed the original meaning of the words fiqh, ilm, tawheed, tasqeer, hikmat and have given them the meanings of their own will. As a result, they have become blameworthy. Fiqh, religious learning. It now has the meaning of the science of unusual legal cases, mystery of the minutest details of jurisprudence, and excessive debates about them. 
The man who gives attention to such science is called a faqih or a jurisprudent. In the first century, it had a different meaning. It was the science of the path of the hereafter and knowledge of the beneficial and harmful matters of the soul and the heart and the knowledge of the meanings of the Quran and the domination of God's fear over the heart. This is proved by the words of, the, of God in the following verses that they may be expert in religion and they and may warn their people when they come back to them. 9.193 Fiqh or jurisprudence is that gives such a warning and fear rather than the detail of divorce and rental cars, rental loans. God says they have got hearts but they do not understand with them. 2.178 Those who were present before the Prophet did not know the details of these laws. Someone asked Saad bin Ibrahim, who is the greatest faqih in Medina? He said, he who fears God the most. This point, this points out to the result of fiqh. The Prophet once said, shall I not inform you about perfect faqih? The companion said, yes. He said, a perfect faqih is one who does not deprive the people of the mercy of God and does not give the hope of freedom from punishment, nor makes them lose hope in God's mercy, nor discards the Quran in the favor of something else. When Anas bin Malik narrated the following tradition, quote, to sit with those who remember God from dawn to sunrise is dearer to me than the manumission of four slaves. The Prophet said, a man cannot become a perfect faqih unless he makes the people understand about the existence of God and believes that there are several objects in the Quran. Hazrat Hassan al-Basri said, A faqih is one who renunciates the world, remains steadfast to the hereafter, is wise with his religion, worships his Lord constantly, restrain himself from the attacks of the reputations of his fellow Muslims, is indifferent to the wealth and wishes good for the Muslim world, he did not say one who commits to memory the intricate laws of fiqh. Ilm is the science of knowledge, the science of knowledge of God and his verses. When Khalif Umar died, Hazrat Ibn Masood said, nine-tenth of the science of religion has passed away. The people present use the term ilm to mean the science of those who can debate well the cases of jurisprudence with their adversaries and those who cannot do that termed weak and outside the category of learned men. But what has been said about the excellence of learning and the merits of learned men apply to those who are well versed according to the former meaning of the word ilm, tawheed, the unity of God. The present meaning of Tawheed is scholastic theology or ilm kalama, the knowledge of the methods of argumentation, the manner of confronting people. Tawheed was then the belief that all things are from God and it ruled out all intermediary causes, the belief that good and evil come from God and that result of Tawheed is God-reliance. Such people believed that another fruit of Tawheed is to avoid complaints to the people, not to get angry at them and to remain satisfied with the decree of God. Another fruit of Tawheed is the saying of Hazrat Abu Bakr if in his illness. The people said to him, 
let us call a physician for you. He said, the physician himself has given me the disease. In another narration, he said, the physician said, I certainly do what I will wish. Said in the Quran 85.16. Tawheed is therefore a precious fruit which is engaged in several husks. The outer husk is distant from the inner husk. The modern people have taken up the husk and given up the inside. The people have termed it as science of the husk and given up the science of the inside. The meaning of the husk of Tawheed is to utter by tongue, there is no God but Allah. It is opposite to the trinity of the Christians. The hypocrite Muslims also utter it. The inside of Tawheed is confirmation by the heart what the tongue says. The heart believes it to be true. That is real Tawheed, which is to entrust every affair of man to God in such a way that his attention is not diverted to any other matter except God. Those who follow their passions do not conform to this kind of monotheism or Tawheed. God says, Have you seen such one who takes his passion as God? 2543 The Prophet said, The worst deity in the sight of God that is worshipped in this world is the deity of passion. Idol worship is also done according to the wishes of passion. For this reason, the soul of such a man inclines towards the religion of his ancestors. Such a man is like one who rises up in the morning and says, facing the Kaaba, I have turned my face towards one who created the heavens and the earth, but he really does not turn his heart towards God and begins the day with a lie. The direction of the Kaaba is not the direction of God. He who turns his face towards the Kaaba cannot be called to have turned his face towards God as God is not confined within space or direction. Mind is the mind of Tawheed and its fountainhead. A man of Tawheed turns his mind towards God and not towards any other direction. Zikr or Tazkir, that is God's remembrance. This is the science of invocation of God. God says, Remind them because zikr or admonition benefits the believers. 51.55 There are many traditions regarding the merits of the assemblies of zikr. The Prophet said, When you pass by the garden of paradise, enjoy yourselves. He was asked, What are the gardens of paradise? He said, The assemblies of zikr, that is the remembrance of God. The Prophet said, The angels of God roam in the horizon, except the angels of creation. When they see any assembly of zikr, they come themselves and say, Come on to your goals. Then they come to the place, surround them and hear them, remember God and take lessons. Now the assembly of zikr means the assembly of lectures, wherein the modern lecturer delivers long speeches, tells stories, recites poems and poetries and sings songs. Such was not the practice at the time of the four rightly guided khalifa. Storytelling is an innovation. Ibn Omar once came out of the mosque exclaiming, None has sent me out except a storyteller. Hazrat Ali turned out the storytellers from congregational mosques of Basra. He did not turn out Hassan al-Basri as he used to deal with the hereafter, the contemplation of death, defects of the soul and machinations of the devil. Such is the assembly about which the Prophet said, to be present in the assembly of zikr is better than 1,000 rakat of prayer, visiting 1,000 people and attending 1,000 funerals. 
Hazrat Atta said, One assembly of zikr expites the sins of 70 assemblies of useless talk. The Prophet once heard three talks from Abdullah bin Rawaha and said, O Abu Rawaha, keep yourself far from ornamental talks. He asked the Prophet one day about the blood money of a child which died in the womb of his mother, saying, How shall we pay the blood money of a child that has taken no food, no drink, or nor cried, or taken a breath? Such murder is excusable, the Prophet said. Are you like the desert Arabs who indulge in ornamental words? Poetry. As to poetry, its general use in sermons is bad. God says, as to poets, those who go astray, follow them. Those who go astray, follow them. Don't you find the wandering in each valley and say what they do not do? 26, 255. God said, I did not teach the prophet poetry, nor is it becoming of him. Furthermore, what is narrated of poetries and sermons comprises mostly of love episodes, description of the beauties of women, the joys of union and the pangs of separation. This gives a rise to lust and sexual passion more than religious enthusiasm. There are, however, such poetries which contain wisdom. The prophet said, there is wisdom in poetry. Hikmat. The word hikmat derived from the word hikmah is now used in the case of physicians, astrologers and those who tell the future to the people by examining hands of people. But God says about the word hikmat, he gives wisdom whom he wishes. Whoever has been given wisdom has been given a great good. 2.272 of the Quran, the Prophet said, If a man learns a word of wisdom, it is better than the world and everything in it. Now think what was hikmat and what it has come to become now. Now think also the meaning of many words which have come down on us. One day a man asked the Prophet, What is the worst creature, creature in creation? The Prophet said, Oh God, pardon me. On being repeatedly asked, the Prophet said, the wicked learned men. Now you have come to know about praiseworthy and blameworthy sciences and how they intermingled with one another. Now choose either of the two. If you want good, you may follow the path of the ancient sages and saints. And if you want, you may follow the path of the latter generations. All knowledge which the ancient sages loved has vanished. The Prophet said Islam began with a few and it will return to a few as it began. God knows of those few. He was asked, who are those few? He said, those who purify my sunnah after the people have polluted them and those who revive my sunnah after my death. In another narration, the few are the few righteous men in the midst of many unrighteous men. The third matter, how much is praiseworthy of the praiseworthy sciences? Knowledge is divided into three parts. One part is blameworthy in whole or in part. One part is praiseworthy in whole or in part. And one part is praiseworthy up to a certain limit and beyond it, it is blameworthy. Look to the conditions of the psyche. A little health and beauty is good, but a little of ugly figure and bad conduct is bad. Moderate expense of wealth is praiseworthy, but immoderate expense, expense is blameworthy. 1. The knowledge of which is little or much is blameworthy, 
has got no benefit either in this world or in the next because there is such harm in it which is greater than the benefit. For example, magic or astrology, a valuable life would not be spent uselessly, but there are some sciences which have got moderate benefits, but their harms are greater. Two, the science which is beneficial up to the end is the science of knowing God, His attributes and God's works, His laws affecting the world and the hereafter. This is the science which is sought for its own attributes and by which the blessings of the hereafter is gained to assert oneself to the utmost of one's capacity is to gain its falls far short of what is required because it is such a sea in which the depth is unlimited. Those who search it are remaining constantly in its shores and its edges. The prophets, the saints and the learned with the faith according to their different ranks, power and strength and according to the decree of God could not even navigate its ends. This is the hidden science which can never be recorded in books. For it, precautions shall have to be taken, efforts shall have to be made, and conditions of the learned men of the hereafter shall have to be examined. For this science, a great deal of effort, purification of the mind, renunciation of the world, and following of the prophets and the friends of God is necessary. He who does all these things earns its according to his fate and not to his efforts. But there is no escape from the efforts as the efforts are the only key to guidance and then there is no other key. 3. The sciences which are praiseworthy up to a certain limit are those which are narrated at the time of discussion of the Farzik Kafaya. Each has got three limits. First limit up to the necessity, second up to moderation and third up to excessive quantity and there is no end to it during life. Be aware of the two people. Either be busy with yourselves or be busy after finishing your work with others. Be careful of correcting others before you correct yourself. If you keep busy with yourself, be busy with the acquisition of knowledge which is compulsory according to your need. For instance, the knowledge of open deeds such as prayer, fasting, etc., more importance, however, is the science which everybody neglects. It is the science of the heart. Know which of these sciences are bad and which are good, as there is nobody who is safe from envy, hatred, pride, and other such destructive faults. The performance of these outward deeds is like the external application of ointment on the body when it is stricken with scabies or boils, while neglecting to remove the pus by means of surgery. The learned men lay stress upon the outward actions and the learned men of the hereafter remove the impurities of the heart and the mind. So you should not engage yourself in Farzikafaya duties till you are pure in heart and acquire strength to give up open and secret sins. Give attention first to the Holy Quran, then to the Sunnah of the Prophet and then to the Tafsirs of the learned men and then to other learnings. Don't engage your life to the learnings of only one branch of education as life is short, but the learnings of many. The acquisition of these learnings are weapons for the hereafter. There is no learning which has got no limits of necessity, moderation and perfection. This is applicable also to the Hadith, Tafsir and Fiqh. A certain saint asked a learned man in a dream, 
Tell me the condition of learning about which you held disputation. He said, It all has vanished like scattered dust. Only two rakats of prayer at the later part of the night has done me benefit. The Prophet said, No people are misguided after guidance except by disputes. Then he read the following words, quote, They did nothing about you but disputation. Rather, they are a contentious people about a verse, but they in whose hearts they there is perversion. 3. 5. And the Prophet said that there are contentious people about whom God said, Be aware of them. The Prophet said, You are living in an age when you will receive inspiration for actions, but soon a people will appear who will give into disputation. The worst men of God and creation are given into bitter disputes. He also said, Those who had given into disputation have not been given actions. Section 4. Harms of the Science of Polemics and Evils of Debates and Disputation Know, O oh dear readers, that after the Prophet, the rightly guided Caliphs were the leaders of the learned men in the science of God. They were the eyes of knowledge and were experienced in legal decisions. They did not take the help of jurisprudence except in cases where consultation was necessary. They decided on the strength of ijtihad and their decisions were recorded in their lives. After their death, the Caliphate went to those who were not experienced in legal matters and administrative affairs. They were compelled to seek the aid of jurisprudence. At that time, a band of successors of the companions were alive and they persisted in following strictly the injunctions of religion. Whenever the caliph called upon them, they fled. But some learned men used to mix with the caliphs and consequently became humiliated. Therefore, there were, few different, there were differences of opinion amongst the learned men and there grew different mazhab and sects as a result. They were argumentation and disp disputation over intricate questions of religion. They composed also many works on these subjects. This induced the people to take up controversies and disputations. There are eight conditions of debate. Number one, the first condition is that the debate for the search for the truth is one of farzakafaya duties one which has al not already fulfilled his part and duties of farz ain should not engage himself in debates even for searching the truth. Number two, the second condition is that one should not consider debates more important than farz duties. He commits a sin, he who does other works, leaving aside a more important farz duty, he is like a man who does not give water to drink to people who are thirsty and facing death, even though he has got the power to do so, because he remains busy in giving lessons of cupping. Once the Prophet was asked, When will the people give up enjoying good and forbidding evil? The Prophet said, When flattery will grow in good people amongst you, the kingdom will go to the meanest of you, and the theology of those who will be corrupt. The third condition which justifies debate is that the debater should have the ability and give decision on his own responsibility without referring to the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa or any of the Imams. He who does not have the ability 
of independent interpretation should not express his opinion and should refer it to an imam. The fourth condition which justifies debate is that the subject for decision should be about an actual case that crops up, for example, the question of inheritance and not of future hypothetical cases. The companions also held consultations as questions arose and were likely to arise in order to arrive at the truth. The fifth condition is that debate should be held in private in preference to open meetings in the presence of noted people and in grandeur because privacy is more suitable for clear thinking and to examine what is right and what is wrong. The sixth condition is that the debater should like truth in the same spirit as a lost thing is searched for. He should not mind whether the truth is found by him or his adversary. When Hazrat Umar was giving a sermon, a woman pointed out to him his mistake to which he submitted. At that time, Hazrat Ali was asked a question by a man and he replied, when the man pointed out his mistake, Hazrat Ali ad admitted it. The seventh condition is that the debater should not prevent his adversary from giving up one argument in favor of another and one illustration in favor of another. The eighth condition is that the debate should be held with such people from whom benefit is derived and who is learned. These are eight conditions you will be able to distinguish those who debate for the sake of God and those who debate for other purposes. Third matter, evils of debates. The following evils arise out of the modern debates. Number one, envy. The prophet said envy consumes good deeds as the fire consumes fuel. A debater is never free from envy and hatred. Envy is a burning fire. One who falls in it gets the punishment in the world. Hazrat Ibn Abbas said, quote, Acquire knowledge wherever it is found and do not obey the devils who are prone to debates and disputes. Number two, pride. The Prophet said a believer cannot have pride in him. There is a hadith, Al-Qudsi, in which God said, Grandeur is my cloak and pride is my mantle. I destroy one who snatches away anything of these two from me. Rancor. A debate is seldom free from the evil of rancor. The Prophet said a believer has got no rancor. Number four, backbiting, which is likened by God to the eating of carrion, 49.12. A debater ascribes to this, to his op opponent's foolishness, ignorance and stupidity. Declaration of self-purity. God says, do not attribute purity to yourselves. He knows best who fears him, 53.33 spying and prying into secrets of adversaries. God says, pry not. Number seven, hypocrisy, in which a debater expresses his friendship for his adversary outwardly, but he cherishes hatred in him inwardly. The prophet said, when the learned men do not translate their learning into actions, when they profess to love one another with their tongue and nurse hatred in their hearts, when they sever the ties of relationship, God sends curse upon them and makes their tongues mute and their eyes blind. Number eight, to turn away from the truth. The most hateful thing to a debater is to reject the truth revealed to his adversary and thus he takes to deception and deceit. The prophet prohibited dispute about useless things. He said if a man gives up disputation in matters of unlawful things, 
a garden will be built for him in paradise. If a man gives up disputation in matters of truth, a horse will be built for him in the highest paradise. He said, he is more wrongful than one who devises a lie against God and calls calls a truth a lie when it comes to him. 29.68 God said, who is more wrongful than that he who lies against God and treats the truth when it comes to him as a lie. 39.33 Another fault of debate is show and flattering. The people, in an effort to win their favor and to mislead them, hypocrisy is the greatest disease in which a debater is attacked and it is a major sin. Number 10. Deception Debaters aren't compelled to deception. These ten evils are the secret major sins arriving out of debates. Besides these major offenses, there are there arise many other guilts out of controversies leading to blows, kicks, boxing, tearing of garments, etc. The learned men are of three classes. One comprises those who ruin themselves and also ruin others. Another class make themselves fortunate and make others also fortunate. Such learned men call towards what is good. The third class of men call ruin to themselves but make others fortunate. Section 5. Manners to be observed by teachers and students. These manners comprise ten duties. The first duty of a student is to keep himself free from impure habits and evil matters. Efforts to acquire knowledge is the worship of the mind. It purifies secrets, faults, and takes to God. Prayer is observed by outward organs as outward purity is not gained except by outward organs. So worship by mind, the fountainhead of acquisition of knowledge, cannot be attained without the removal of bad habits and evil attributes. The Prophet said, religion is founded on cleanliness, so outward and inward purities are necessary. God says the polytheists are impure in 9.28. It is understood from this that purity and impurity are not merely external as the polytheists also keep their dresses clean and their bodies clean, but their mind is impure, so they are generally impure. The inward purity is of greater importance. The prophet therefore said, angels do not enter a house wherein there are dogs. The human mind is a house and the abode of angels their place of movement, the blameworthy evils like anger, lust, envy, pride, and the likes are like dogs. These dogs reside in the heart. Where is the place for the angels? God takes the secret of knowledge to the hearts throughout, through the angels. They do not take it except to the pure souls. Hazrat ibn Abbas and ibn Mas'ud said, Knowledge is not acquired through much learning. It is the light cast in the heart, a certain sage said. Knowledge is the fear of God, as God said. The learned amongst the people fear God the most. Number two, the second duty of a student is to reduce his worldly affairs and keep aloof. From kilt and kin, as acquisition of knowledge is not possible in these environments. For this region, a reason, a certain sage said, God has not gifted two minds to a man, for this region, a certain saint said, Knowledge will not give you its full share till you surrender your entire mind to it. The third duty of a student is not to take pride. 
or exalt himself over the teacher, but rather entrust to him the conduct of all of his affairs and submit to his advice as a patient submits to the physician. The Prophet said, It is the habit of a believer not to flatter anyone except when he seeks knowledge. Therefore, a student should not take pride over his teacher. Knowledge cannot be acquired except through modesty and humility. God said, there, herein there is a warning for one who has got a heart or sets up ear while he himself is being a witness. 5036. The meaning of, give, of having a heart is to be fit for receiving knowledge and the one who is prepared and capable of understanding knowledge. Whatever the teacher should recommend to the student, the student should follow it, putting aside his own opinion. The people should question only in the matter which the teacher permits him. Here there is an instance of Moses and Khizr. Khizr said, you will not ask me anything that I do. Still Moses asks him questions and for that he separated from Moses. Number four, the fourth duty of a student is that he should first pay no attention to the difference whether about worldly science or science of the hereafter as it may perplex his mind and he may lose enthusiasm. He should adopt first what the teacher says and should not argue about the differences between mazhabs and sects. Number five, the fifth duty of a student should not miss any branch of knowledge. He should try to become perfect in them as all the branches of learning help one another and some branches are allied with another. If a man does not get a thing, it becomes his enemy. God says, when they do not find guidance, they say it is an age-long lie. 46.10 A poet said, A sweet thing is bitter in the mouth of a patient as sweet water is tasteless to a sick man. Good knowledge is acquired according to one's genius. It leads man to God and helps him in that way. Each branch of knowledge has got its fixed place. He who guards it is like a guard who patrols the frontiers of jihad. Each has got a rank in it and each has got a reward in the hereafter according to its rank. The only condition required is that the object of acquisition of knowledge should be to please God. The sixth duty of a student is that he should not take up all the branches of knowledge at a time, but should take up the most important one first, as life is not sufficient for all branches of knowledge. A little learning, if acquired with enthusiasm, perfects knowledge of the hereafter or the science of the worldly usage and the science of revelation. The object of science of the worldly usages is to acquire spiritual knowledge. The goal of spiritual knowledge is to know God. Our object by this knowledge is not that belief which is handed down from the generations to generations. Our object for this knowledge is to acquire light arising out of certain faiths which God casts in soul. Such a light was acquired by Hazrat Ibn Abu, Hazrat Abu Bakr, the Prophet said about Abu Bakr, if the faith of people in the entire world is weighed with the faith of Abu Bakr, his faith would be heavier. In short, the highest and the noblest of all sciences is to know God. This science is like a sea of which the depth cannot be determined. In this science, the highest rank is that of the Prophets and then the friends of God and finally to those who follow them. It has been narrated that the portraits of two ancient wise men were seen on the wall of a mosque. 
One of them held a piece of paper in which it is written, If you purify everything, don't understand that you have even purified one thing till you know God and you know that God is the cause of all causes and the creator of everything. In the hand of the second man there was a scroll in which it was written, I, rem I removed thirst before my drinking water and then I have come to know God. But when I have come to know God, my thirst was quenched without any water. Seventh, duty of a student is that he should not take up a new branch of learning till he has learned fully the previous branch of learning because it is requisite for the acquisition of knowledge. One branch of knowledge is a guide to another branch. God says, those who have been given the Quran recite it with due recitation. 215. In other words, he does not take up one learning till he masters the previous one. Hazrat Ali said, don't conceal truth from men, rather know the truth, then you will know the master of the truths. Number 8. The eighth duty of a student is to know the causes of which noble sciences are known. It can be known from two things, nobility of its fruits and the authenticity of its principles. Take for example the science of religion as medicine. The fruit of the science of religion is to gain an eternal life. The fruit of the other is to gain a temporary life. From this point of view, the science of religion is more notable as a result is it's more noble. Take up mathematics and astrology and the former is nobler because the former is more authentic. That is, mathematics is more authentic in its foundations. From this, it is clear that the science of the knowledge of God, his angels, his books and his prophets is the most noble and also the branch of knowledge which helps it. The ninth duty of a student is to purify his mind and actions with virtue to gain proximity to God and his angels and to live in company of those who live near God, those who live near God. His aim should not be to gain worldly pleasures, to acquire riches or properties, to argue with illiterate and to show pride and haughtiness. He whose object is to gain nearness to God sh should seek such learning as helps towards that goal namely the knowledge of the hereafter and the learnings which are auxiliary to it. God said God will raise herewith in rank who are believers and to whom knowledge has been given. 58.11 God said they have got stages, some lower, some higher. The highest rank is that of the prophets and then the friends of God and then the learned who are firm in knowledge and then of the pious who follow them. Number 10, the 10th duty of a student is that he should keep attention to primary objects of knowledge. It is not in your power to enjoy bliss in this world and that in the next together. This world is a temporary resting place. Body is a conveyance and the actions run towards the goal. The goal is God and nothing else. All bliss and happiness lie in him. So give importance to sciences which take you to that ultimate goal. There are three kinds of learning. One kind of learning is like the purchase of commodities in a journey. These are sciences of medicine, law, fiqh, and all other sciences which keep connection with the welfare of people in this world. Number two, another class of learning is like the science of traveling in the desert and overcoming obstacles. They purify the mind from evil traits and take it to a high place that does not fall to the lot of many except those whom God shows favor. 
The third kind of knowledge is like the knowledge of the pilgrimage, its rules and regulations. This is the science of the knowledge of God, his attributes and the knowledge of the actions of the angels. This is the knowledge which cannot be gained except by agnostics who are close to God. Those who are lower in rank than them will get also salvation. God says, as for one who is the nearest to God, there is happiness, bounty and garden of bliss for him. But as for one who is of the companions of the right hand, there is peace for him as well. 56.87 There is a certain truth which, is, which they perceived through contemplations. This is more clear than seeing with the eyes. They are confirmed in their faith after seeing for themselves. Others, like those who have got faith but without contemplation and without seeing and with their own eyes. By the soul, I don't mean heart made up of the flesh. It is a subtle uh, or a secret essence which the body senses fail to perceive. It is a spiritual substance for God and has been described sometimes by nafs, sometimes by kalb. The material heart is a vehicle for spiritual essence to remove the veil from it as it belongs to the science of revelation, a science which is upheld by man and there is no permission to discuss it. What is permissible is the discussion that it is a precious jewel and belongs to the world of the spirit and not to the world of matter. God, asks, God says, they ask you about the soul, say that the soul proceeds from the command of my Lord, 1787, the connection of the soul with God is nobler than that of all bodily limbs. To God belongs the creation and the command is the most precious thing which can carry the trust of God. It is nobler than the heaven and the earth and that they contain as the earth refused to bear the trust of the sphere of the, of, because of the fear of the spiritual world world it has come from god and it will return to god it is the spiritual substance which drives towards god jazakallah khair assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh